sign. What is up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everything in between. Welcome back to the Underground, another episode of Pop Culture Underground, episode 8 of the show that brings you unforgiving takes and passionate opinion on all things pop culture, news, reviews, media, and more from a fan just like you. And what a week it has been, guys. What a week it has been. And I'm so happy to be saying that after we had so many weeks of just no information, no drops, nothing at all. Then DC Fandom came, dropped a bucket of gold on our heads, and it has just been a steady stream of information from both DC, Marvel, and the pop culture realm all together got all kinds of things to talk about this week man well it's it's been great it has been absolutely phenomenal to be a geek these past few weeks i know we haven't had any new movies we haven't really had any new tv shows I mean, we've got stuff like ratchet and stuff like that but but that's not really what we want right that's not the great the, the good stuff the great stuff that we're all clamoring for but lo and behold 2020 might be saved. It's already going to be saved by Mando and and Baby Yoda, right? We know that. But it might also be saved by Scarlet Witch and Vision when WandaVision hits, and it is coming this year. We don't have necessarily technically confirmation on that, uh, but I did read a story that said it will still be coming in 2020. If you remember, it was actually supposed to come out in 2021, and it got moved up, and that was before this whole pandemic thing, and I think a lot of us assumed that it would then get delayed and pushed off back into 2021, but that does not appear to be the case here, as we now have seven Marvel Universe lineups, including four MCU movies and three Marvel Disney Plus TV shows. I mean, if we look at the four movies, we've now got Black Widow next year. We've got Eternals moving to November. We've got Shang-Chi, which got pushed back. We also have the uh, the third Spider-Man movie coming out in December of next year. If that release date holds, my guess is it probably won't. It'll probably get pushed off into 2022. But they may not want to do that because they may just want to get them all out in 2021 and not have another overcrowded year. And then we've got the, Mar- the the Disney Plus shows. We've got Loki, we've got Falcon and Winter Soldier, and She-Hulk, which is definitely in the news this week over in Marvel Weekly. So it's going to be a bombardment of Marvel properties. And that's not even including the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse sequel, the Morbius movie, and the new Venom Let There Be Carnage movie. So, I mean, shit, if you really think about it, that's 10. That is 10 Marvel movies or Marvel MCU properties coming out next year. Like, oh my god, if you're a fan like I am, you gotta be excited about 2021. You've got to be excited about 2021. Man. And you know what? Let's take a second now and hit up the DC side, because I just saw that Supergirl has been canceled. This season will be its last. That's kind of unfortunate, because I always loved Melissa Benoist as Supergirl. In fact, I'm going through and watching uh, The Flash right now, trying to catch up, since I was kind of out of the loop with that show. And honestly, Crisis on Infinite Earths was kind of let down to me. Don't get me wrong. It was great. It was good. I loved it. But man, I don't feel like it was as good as uh, as Crisis on Earth X. In fact, I think the order that the crossovers happened is the order of their greatness. I think Crisis on Earth X is the best one. I think Elseworlds is the second best one. And then Crisis on Infinite Earths is the third one. And it just doesn't seem right that that one would be the, you know, the lowest among the three crossovers. But... You know, we, we kind of got desensitized to it. They kind of they kind of shot their load a few times with the first two crossovers with a lot of cool things that they could do. And so maybe Crisis on Infinite Earths should have been a little bit earlier. I, I don't know. Maybe they shouldn't have even done it. I, I mean, I don't know. You know, DC really likes this whole multiverse aspect that they have now. And Crisis on Infinite Earths 
was able to bring it all down to one universe for the the CW verse. That show will never be called the CW verse in my head. It will always be the Arrowverse, and that is a slap in the face to Arrow, the show that brought it all to you. And that is so disappointing to me to see that they would even try to rebrand that universe. But you know, whatever. With all of that said, guys, I am your host and producer. I am Jordan. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at Popsy Underground. John Cena just started following the the Twitter page after I tweeted about this new Peacemaker show that we got to talk about. What? Yeah, we got to get into that. Let's check out what we're going to be going over this episode. All right, we got an exciting episode with a lot of things to talk about. Now, it's been a full week since I had a last episode. We usually do multi-episodes a week. I will get back to that ASAP. Had a lot of things going on with the house here with, with my pregnant wife and all that, but I've already told you about that. You probably don't want to hear about that again. But it has been a full week, which is not normal for this show. So I had to pick and choose a few things that I wanted to talk about. One thing in particular happened about a week ago. You may have already heard a lot about it, but I do not care. I want to get my thoughts on it anyways. And that is the PS5 showcase, the PS5 price, and the PS5 pre-order fiasco. Guys, I went to pre-order hell. I went to battle and pre-order hell. And I emerged victorious and got one pre-ordered. A digital edition one. Got one pre-ordered. Thank God. I will be getting the new Xbox, just not until next year. Especially, I do not have this in the news, actually, so I want to mention this here. Xbox bought, or Microsoft technically, bought Bethesda Studios. They bought Zenimax, which has Bethesda and id and all of just a ton of great gaming studios. So that is going to bring Doom. That's going to bring Fallout. That is going to bring Elder Scrolls. Xbox really just hit a home run with this, but man, they paid a price for it. Seven and a half billion dollars for that studio acquisition. Is Microsoft going to buy any more studios? I believe so. I believe that when they got forced to delay Halo into next year, possibly even 2022, that really, really hurt them. And I think they then scrambled to say, what can we do to build some kind of hype behind our new new box here? What, What can we do to get people to go out and buy it? Well, There's not enough time to put out a new game or make a game, right? This thing comes out in a couple months. So what could they have possibly done? This right here. Brilliant move by Microsoft. Very surprising to me that they would allocate that much into their gaming section with the Xbox because, you know, they're they're all going for this whole Game Pass thing. And that's their number one seller, which I think is a great deal. The Xbox pre-order showed it. They, They crashed sites and sold out just like the PS5 did, which surprised me. It really did. I guess technically not really because pre-orders aren't going to show you the whole picture. You know, most hardcore gamers are going to get on there and pre-order the new system. But, woo, that that was a big deal by Microsoft, and I really, really wanted to mention that. And that does get me excited, and I will for sure be getting a new Xbox next year. So this episode, we are going to do things in this order. We are going to hit up DC Weekly first. We're going to talk about... The new John Cena Peacemaker show coming out on HBO Max. James Gunn is involved in that heavily. Harley Quinn. We got some Harley Quinn animated series news. DC Universe is going to relaunch. We're going to talk about that. Justice League Snyder Cut got a budget and a couple actors coming back for reshoots. That is cool news. Over on the Marvel Weekly side, we have got the WandaVision trailer to discuss. Yes, we do. We've got a Hellstrom trailer to discuss. Yes, we do. And Marvel is coming out with a 616 History docuseries. What is that? What is that all about? Well, we're going to talk about that. Tatiana Maslany is She-Hulk. She has been cast as She-Hulk. Some more information on that. Going to give my thoughts on that. And then over on the Popsy Weekly side, it's going to be all about the PlayStation 5, the showcase, the games coming out, my excitement for it, what I think about it, and a little bit about Microsoft as well. So with all of that said, 
Let's go ahead and get into it, baby. Let's go. I'm excited for this. All right. DC Weekly. <laughs> it's that time again, boys and girls, for the DC <laughs> Weekly. Big news kicking off DC Weekly here is John Cena's Peacemaker from the Suicide Squad movie has gotten a new series from James Gunn on HBO Max. So if you don't know, Peacemaker is a character in the upcoming The Suicide Squad movie directed and written by James Gunn. He has been super excited about that. Now, what just came out is in the boredom of the quarantine, James Gunn created this new show, and it will be on HBO Max. And it looks like HBO Max is going to be the premier service for anything DC going forward. We'll talk about that more in the DC Universe relaunch. But James Gunn's The Suicide Squad has already inspired a new HBO Max spinoff series before the show has even come out. John Cena is going to star in as, of course, he is Peacemaker. This news is what I posted on my Twitter account, and that's what got John Cena to follow the account, so that's pretty cool. But Warner Media announced this series today with the eye-catching Twitter pitch of, oh, fuck. It's Peacemaker. HBO Max has ordered new Max original series Peacemaker starring John Cena from the Suicide Squad writer-director James Gunn, Peter Safran, and Warner Brothers TV DC Comics. Peacemaker, an image was attached showcasing the DC Comics Peacemaker character with his perfect Captain America jaw splattered with blood. If you remember back at DC Fandom, John Cena had teased Peacemaker as a douchey Captain America. So the fact that we're going to get some of that on a TV show is just great. And you know, it's really interesting to me that some of these new DCEU movies coming out, like the Batman and the Suicide Squad, are already getting spinoff shows to be put on HBO Max before they even premiere in the theaters. First off, what does that show me? Well, that shows me that they are actually leaning a little bit more towards director-driven stuff, because each director has a ton to do with the TV shows that are going to be coming out on HBO Max that are spinoffs of the movie itself. And it also shows the kind of confidence that Warner Brothers and DC have in these two movies coming out. And it also shows to me just how much James Gunn has his tentacles wrapped around DC and their properties. In fact, I think Guardians might be the last movie he does in Marvel. If this movie goes well, I think he will jump ship and continue to do more because I think Warner Brothers and DC are willing to hand him a lot more reins than Marvel ever could because Marvel doesn't need to. Warner Brothers in DC, they do need to. They definitely need to get some clout behind them with the DCEU. Someone like James Gunn is perfect to bring that to them, to hand over some of the keys to the kingdom, not all of them, but some of them. And it looks like they're doing the same thing with the Batman and Matt Reeves. So this is good news to me, and this signals that they have a lot of confidence going forward with the movies that they have lined up. And I'm very, very excited for the Suicide Squad And James Gunn is going to be writing all eight episodes of this new show, Peacemaker, so you can only be excited about that too, right? Not to mention, James Gunn is also going to direct a few episodes of the show too, so this this is just awesome. This is so awesome. It will also be produced by James Gunn's Troll Court Entertainment and the Saffron Company in association with Warner Brothers Television. Peacemaker is scheduled to begin production early next year in 2021, prior to James Gunn beginning work on the next Guardians of the Galaxy film. It's almost like it's almost like DC keeps going like, hey, hey, Gunn, we're going to keep feeding you this stuff. Just, just, just put off Guardians 3. Put it off. They don't need it. We're just going to keep giving you stuff to work with. And, and he's biting. He's biting. He's taking the bait, and he's going with it. I don't, man, I don't know if we're going to get Guardians 3 until 2025 at this point. And you know what? 
that is fine with me because Marvel has so many other properties that I am interested in. The DCEU doesn't really. They've got the Snyder Cut, which I'm, I'm very excited for. We'll, we'll talk about that news a little bit more. They've got the Batman movie, which I'm extremely thrilled to see this version of Batman. And then they've got the Suicide Squad. And of course, they've got other stuff in the pipeline like Shazam 2. But man, the Batman and the Suicide Squad, those are the two movies. Those are the two ones that if they can knock it out of the park with those two, they have found a new formula. They have found a new road to, to success, if I can say that. And it just... It's good. It's great to see, especially with all this behind-the-scenes stuff with Jeff Johns and DC and Ray Fisher and what's going on there. It's really disgusting to see what's happening there. I mean, it's it's hard to take sides at this point because of the lack of information and the, the so-called investigation that Warner Brothers is doing, which I, I don't even know if you can really call it that. It's more of an... I, I, I'm not even, I'm not a legal guy, so I really don't even want to get into that, but it is really nice to see these two properties coming out, and it is wonderful to see James Gunn and Matt Reeves have total control over these films, and it looks like the franchise is really, maybe, maybe not total control over anything outside of the movies they're producing right now, but a definite strong hand dipped into the franchises of these two movies, and to see the kind of influence that they have over just the whole world of each you know the batman and the suicide squad so that is really awesome to see and if the two movies succeed like i believe they will in our big hits then i think you can bet your ass that this is the way warner brothers will go from now on the way that they should have gone from the very very beginning but you can't change the past right now, this new series is going to be exploring the origins of the character that John Cena will play in the upcoming Suicide Squad film, a man who believes in peace at any cost, no matter how many people he has to kill to get it. This series will extend the world that Gunn is creating for the Suicide Squad movie, which is scheduled to be released in theaters by Warner Brothers on August 6, 2021. James Gunn had this to say about the Peacemaker show coming out. Peacemaker is an opportunity to delve into current world issues through the lens of this superhero slash supervillain slash world's biggest douchebag. I'm excited to expand the Suicide Squad and bring this character from the DC film universe to the full breadth of a series. And of course, to be able to work with John, Peter, and my friends at Warner Brothers is just the icing on the cake. John Cena said, I have said before that it has been a tremendous honor and an incredible opportunity to be part of the Suicide Squad and to work with James on what is going to be a fantastic movie. I am unbelievably excited to have the chance to team up with him again for Peacemaker. We cannot wait for fans to see this. Guys, James Gunn has a unique ability to create an expansive universe and also the ability to just breathe life and bring interesting details and story arcs and just souls to each character that is in his universe that he has such an ability to expand on. So I am extremely excited to see this. Anything James Gunn does, I, I'm intrigued to see. And just with him, with these C and D list characters, I, I think he can do wonders with it. And just to be able to see it on, on the TV screen now, you know, another thing to think about, look at how much more willing Marvel and DC are to put these properties on streaming services now not normal tv shows their own streaming services so i think you know hbo max and disney plus are just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger because these properties are going to bring a ton of eyes to them and so it's great to see the willingness of dc and marvel to put these you know we'll just call them products franchises onto these streaming services it, it's great it's wonderful and i just want to reiterate my excitement for the suicide squad movie 
for Peacemaker, John Cena's Peacemaker in particular, you, you got to love John Cena and what he has done since, you know, since you can't see me on WWE. He's come a long way, just like Batista, Hete Batista has. You know, the, these guys, some of these guys have talent. And while John Cena may not be the greatest actor in the world, he's not a bad one. Trust me, he's not a bad one. And yeah, he gets typecast a lot. And how could you not with the way he looks and the way he is, but I think he actually has a little more range than a lot of us may think. I think the guy is building a lot of credibility. I think the guy is building quite the portfolio here, and I think Peacemaker being in this movie and this TV show can do wonders for his career going forward. I cannot wait to see a douchebag Captain America just kill tons of people to get what he wants and make things right the way he thinks they are. That That is one of my favorite types of anti-heroes, but they actually called him a superhero slash supervillain. I mean, I guess you, you could call that an anti-hero. Is he a vigilante? I, I don't, he may be something that just, he, he may be his own fucking breed, guys. I mean, peacemaker, man. I, I'm just excited to see James Gunn be able to do some rated R stuff. I mean, this stuff is going to be rated R, right? It's got to be. I, I am so excited for this going forward. I, I think it's going to be a mixture of Captain America and the boys. Captain America and Homelander. Mix them up, you get John Cena's peacemaker, right? Man, I can't wait for this. Let's move on. After waiting, and waiting, and waiting with bated breath, Harley Quinn Animated Series finally, finally gets renewed for Season 3. You know, I was almost dead positive that it was going to happen at DC Fandom. And when it did not get announced at DC Fandom, I got a little concerned. You know, because we heard that negotiations were going on between the show creators and DC in general. And... I wondered if maybe something had happened. Maybe the two sides didn't meet, or maybe one side didn't move far enough for the other side, and I thought maybe it wasn't going to happen. It did finally happen. It did finally get announced. Thank the DC gods, because man, this is such a phenomenal show. Such a phenomenal show. Such a quirky, just creative, just brilliant show, in my opinion. And it will be on HBO Max, as all DC Universe shows are moving to HBO Max, and we will get to that in the next story here. But everybody can now rejoice because the popular Harley Quinn animated series has finally been renewed for season three on HBO Max. But what's really interesting about this whole ordeal is that the showrunners Patrick Schumacher and Justin Halpern confirmed that they are returning to Gotham City alongside cast members Kaylee Cuco, Lake Bell, and the rest of Harley's gang. But they had just learned about this, what, two days ago after they spoke with comicbook.com? revealing that they did only learn about the news two days ago and said that they have to get work on the new episodes in earnest. They also said, quote, we have to fill out the writing staff. Now, fortunately, quite a few of the writers that were with us for seasons one and two are still available, possibly, and hopefully they can get them. They also went on to say, quote, but we are going to be looking for new voices for this season because we will have holes to fill and new points of view that we'll be looking for specifically moving forward. I think that is the immediate step in solidifying who our staff is going to be moving forward, end quote. The two also confirmed that the main cast is all returning. So after an epic sophomore season filled with lots of romantic ups and downs between Harley and Poison Ivy, which is really cool, it's been unclear if DC Universe or HBO Max will be renewing Harley Quinn for a third season, and now we know for sure it will be HBO Max, and it is coming. When will it be coming? We do not have a release date yet. But the producers of the show are hopeful that it will be ready before the end of 2021. Man, if this one comes in 2021 too, holy shit, what a year 2021 is going to be for us geeks and superfans, right? My goodness. And using that story to segue into this story, 
DC Universe is going to relaunch as DC Universe Infinite in 2021. So we were all wondering what was going to happen with DC Universe because I think most of us knew, most of us in the know anyways, knew that DC Universe was not going to stick around as is. It, it was a failure. It did not, I mean, in the beginning, I think they got a decent amount of subscribers, but just not enough to maintain this going forward while making new shows original to the series, right? And so we saw the pebbles being laid for new groundwork. We saw how Titans was getting moved. Doom Patrol was getting moved. We saw the writing on the wall. We saw this happening, and lo and behold, it is official, and it is happening now. DC Universe Infinite will give fans access to over 24,000 comic books at launch, with an expanded collection of comics, original graphic novels, and digital first comics that span 80 years of the DC multiverse. This relaunch will also allow fans to access recently released titles six months after their physical editions are released in stores, as opposed to the year-long gap that currently exists on DC Universe. Fans will also have the ability to download an unlimited number of titles for offline reading on their favorite devices from a smartphone or tablet. DC Universe Infinite will also continue to offer its fan-favorite community area for free to all registered and premium DC subscribers with a full calendar of fan events planned for 2021. Subscribers will not need to create a new account as their DC Universe login will transfer to DC Universe Infinite. So, as you can see here, they are now going to focus it almost 100% on comics, which I had pretty much figured was going to happen. I was I did not know it was going to happen like this. It is exciting that you're going to get comics sooner now. It's going to be a 6-month wait instead of a 1-year wait. That is cool. Also, you can add HBO Max for an additional $5 a month, which if you really think about it, the $8 for DC Universe Infinite, which you're going to be charging, plus the $5 for the HBO Max add-on is $13. That is actually cheaper than HBO Max on its own. But that deal is only running through October 30th of this year. So you have to be a DC Universe right now subscriber, and then you have to pay the $5 extra for HBO Max by October 30th. Now, how long are you going to be able to do that and pay that price for both premium subscriptions? I'm not sure. They haven't laid the groundwork for that yet. But also with DC Universe Infinite, they're going to be creating original content centered around the beloved DC characters that are going to be only on DC Universe Infinite. And they're also going to be offering early access to digital first titles, which makes sense. In fact, I am predicting that DC is going to go almost digital only for their comics in the future. I don't see how they can sustain the business any other way after coronavirus and everything else that's happened. I think they will still have special physical issues. I think that trades will still be in physical form, but I just don't see them keeping every single book in physical form for the road ahead. I just don't see how they can do it. I mean, they're already cutting back on titles. They are cutting titles down a lot. And that needed to happen. That really needs to happen on the Marvel side. And that's got to happen on the Marvel side. They have way too many titles. It's just there's too many titles. They're stretching their writers too thin because each each franchise, Marvel and DC, they only have a handful of good writers. And they only have one or two great writers on each side, If in, in my opinion, if you ask me. And it's almost like they have them doing way too much. And then it's like the drop-off from that top, top talent to the next tier of talent, it's a big, big, big drop-off. So it's like they have their top-tier talent doing, you know, the big titles, stretching themselves really thin. Then they have some medium-tier talent that's tackling the other characters that are well-known, and then they just have some bottom-of-the-barrel talent that's just 
they're just not good. I mean, let's that's just the way it is. And, and I don't see why they have any business doing any comics that you're paying $5 an issue for. Now, I know DC doesn't typically do that, but they do do that. Marvel is more of a violator of the $5, $6 comics, but DC does it as well, especially with their black label stuff. So, in my opinion, it's all going to go digital. And you may even see a scenario here in the near future where they take comics and just put all of them on DC Universe and make it one big subscription. I don't think they do that because I think they want the individual comic sales, but them moving it up to a six-month window does indicate that they're going to be leaning way more towards digital than ever before. And one more thing to keep in mind on the DC Universe Infinite front is that every DC Universe Infinite subscriber, existing member, or those joining during the pre-order offer window are going to receive a special voucher redeemable at the DC shop, which has a lot of cool stuff. Annual subscribers will receive a $25 voucher, while monthly subscribers will receive a $10 voucher. And remember, you can get DC Universe and DC Universe Infinite for $75 a year, which averages out to $6.25 a month. So if you do that and then add the $5 a month for HBO Max, that is the way to go right there. That is one hell of a deal, and I, for one, will be taking advantage of it. And last up for DC Weekly here, we've got some Justice League The Snyder Cut news, as Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck will be returning for one-week reshoots for the Snyder Cut version. So, I was really interested to see if they would bring actors back and do some reshoots for this, and the answer is, yes, they will, and it will also be receiving a $70 million budget for these reshoots. That is really cool. So the Justice League Snyder Cut, which is already mostly done, is also going to receive an additional budget of $70 million and a week-long reshoot planned for October with principal cast including Henry Cavill and Ben Affleck. This is really good news because this now adds even more to the fact that this movie is going to be very different than the original Justice League, which we already knew because they Frankenstein the hell out of that thing, right? But Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Gal Gadot, and Ray Fisher, they're all set to return as Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Cyborg, respectively. Snyder's vision was nearly fully realized when he had left the project, so when you add this to it and now do these reshoots, you're really going to bring it all together, and I think Snyder is really looking to rectify this whole situation here, and I definitely think he will do so now that according to The Wrap, Along with the announcement of reshoots, Snyder's reported budget for his vision is $70 million. Now, the budget is sure to cover the cost of reshoots, as well as additional VFX work that needs to be done. Initial reporting said that no additional filming would occur, but that has now changed with the announcement of this budget. Additionally, a lot of time and manpower will go into editing and creating the four-hour-long episodic cut, something that the new budget seemingly accounts for. So, I almost now wonder if Warner Brothers saw the excitement for this. They already saw it, obviously, which allowed them to go ahead and go forward with bringing it to life. But I think they then saw the reaction to the trailer and saw even more excitement build up for it. That they're like, okay, yeah, Zach, here, here's another 70 million. Do what you need to do, man. And you know what, Zach? Do what you need to do, my man. Because that trailer was awesome. Look, guys, I'm not saying that 
this is going to make the the Snyder Cut version of Justice League the best movie that's ever made. I'm not even saying it's going to make it the best superhero movie that's ever been made. I don't think that's possible. I think Avengers, the, the original Avengers movie, is always going to hold that crown. And ironically enough, that was directed by Joss Whedon, who totally Frankenstein and ruined the hell out of Justice League, right? It's really weird to think about how that can even happen. How can you go from making the greatest ensemble superhero movie of all time, in my opinion, and then go... To, to the DC side and just totally fuck it up. I'll tell you how. Because Zack had a vision. It was being worked on. And you didn't just redo that whole movie. You had a guy come in that was the complete opposite of Zack Snyder and finish it. And and that is why the movie did not track. That is why those two visions did not vibe. And so it is really, really great now to see that he's going to get this additional $70 million, And that Affleck and Cavill are coming back to do reshoots, which shows their support for the whole thing. Because they didn't have to agree to come back and do that, right? But now it looks like no more Superman mustache CGI removal bullshit. I don't think he had that anyways with the Snyder Cut coming out. I think he would have taken all that out. But now you can really use Cavill and reshoot all that stuff and make it all fit perfectly. This is phenomenal news for the Snyder Cut, and it looks like HBO and Warner Brothers is now wanting to make it more than the movie that it would have already been. Looks like they're wanting to make it even bigger and even longer, which is obvious by the four-hour episodic run that this thing's going to have. Man, mind blown here. Can't wait to see this. Cannot wait. Hashtag the Snyder Cut, baby. And that will do it for DC Weekly now. Let's get really excited. Let's get some WandaVision on and hit up Marvel Weekly. Better talk about Hulk in Marvel Weekly. How awesome was that WandaVision trailer? The first one that we got during the Super Bowl last year was awesome. This one is even more awesome. They also released an official poster for the show, which is really, really cool. So let's hit up the good old trailer park and talk about two trailers, the WandaVision trailer and the Hellstrom trailer. So, before we do so, I need to give you guys my rating system, because I will be rating these two trailers. So the way I do my rating system here on Popsy Underground, if you've never listened before, is I do it in honor of my favorite TV show of all time, which is The Office, and my absolute role model in life, Michael G. Scott, bitches. Yes, Michael Scott. So if you watch The Office, or you don't, Here's a little information. Michael likes to give out Dundee Awards to his employees, and they're crazy-ass awards, and they're called Dundies. So here on Pop C Underground, I like to do something like a Dundee, but instead I call it an Undie in reference to pop culture underground. So if it is phenomenal, you cannot miss it. I will kill you. I will destroy you. I will come down on you if you do not watch these movies. I give them a Dundee Award. If they're just okay, but maybe worth your time... I will give it a Stanley. There can be good Stanleys and bad Stanleys. And then, if something is absolute trash, dog shit, if you watch it, I will rip your eyes out and eat them. I will give it a Toby. If you do not know, Toby is a most hated character on The Office, at least from Michael Scott. I don't know if a lot of viewers hated Toby. I know I did, though. I hated Toby. Terrible monotone, terrible character. Actually fit as a really good contrast to Michael and the show in general. He was a brilliant addition to that show. (laughs) But Toby is awful, so we give the most trash movies, TV shows, documentaries, games, whatever the hell on this show, we give them Toby's. So remember, you got Dundies, you got Stanleys, and you got Toby's. Alright, so, this WandaVision trailer. 
First off, I need to reiterate my love for the oldies, classic appeal, and the decade appeal to this. I mean, you've got stuff spanning from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. I mean, th- this thing looks phenomenal. And how great and how, how, okay, how great and hilarious is it to get Scarlet Witch's original costume in almost Halloween-like form in the first trailer. And now with this new one, you get Vision's original comic accurate costume but it's also Halloween-like, so it really makes you wonder what's going on there, right? Now, remember, Marvel did say that this show was going to be a hybrid show. It was going to be half sitcom, and it would also be half epic. And that is very evident in this trailer when it goes from sitcom-like stuff to straight-out badass, awesome MCU epic when you got those epic scenes at the end of this trailer. What's going on there? I don't know, but I am so so intrigued by this trailer. So it starts off black and white, which is great. I think it's awesome. And I think this is the first version of Wanda creating a reality where her and the Vision are together. Now, it starts with a big nod to I Love Lucy. And I think when everything starts to be in color, maybe that's when Wanda's imagination becomes reality. I mean, okay, she's the most powerful character in the MCU, right? We we really don't know what her mind is capable of yet. But... The dinner table scene is the big key here, because two people, Kitty from that 70s show, how cool was it to see her? Two people, probably posing as neighbors, start asking questions about where Wanda and Vision came from. Now, of course, we do know that Vision was not only killed by Wanda to try to save the world, but then Thanos went ahead and unplugged him for good. Iron Man Snap did not bring him back. So Wanda and Vision seem to remember for the first time that they can't remember how they got here. Now, here's the thing. These two people, they may be agents of Mephisto trying to absorb Wanda's kids, Wiccan and Speed, as Wanda may have used fragments of the demon Mephisto's soul to create them. And I'm reading some of this from comicbook.com if you guys want to go check that out. Now, based on this conversation, these kids are not in the picture yet. So maybe these neighbor people in the wrong reality or they're time traveling and they came to Wanda too soon, or maybe they're just created by Wanda herself in this whole reality that she's created here. Now, Catherine Hahn is in this for a mystery role, popping up several times. Now, the top theory going around is that she is playing Agatha Harkness, a sorcerer who is hundreds of years old, and if you read Scarlet Witch comics, you know who that is. Now, if this is true, Agatha is probably working for Mephisto, and those people at the table could be projections from Agatha going undercover with some real witchery business because we do see Agatha later in the trailer zoned way out in a car until Vision pokes her head and gives her a piece of his mind, like literally, indicated by that yellow glow across her face. Now, I think she may have been essentially paused as Wanda could have left this reality and went to another, but somehow Vision is not impacted by this, and it might be how he realizes for the first time Everything is not what it seems. So he then flies up over the city to see everything is paused when Wanda is off on a separate adventure. Now, again, maybe Vision is simply awakening her like characters were awakened in House of M comics, especially when you consider, and this could have something to do with this show or just could be a complete nod, but especially when you consider that back at that dinner table, one of the bottles of wine that was being poured by Wanda with her powers is is labeled, and I'm going to try to say this, but it's in French, Maison du Mapri. I'm probably not saying that right, but that does translate to House of Contempt. But it's also obviously a House of M Easter egg 
because there's a very simplified House of M logo at the top of the bottle as well. So the House of M book is where Wanda creates an alternate reality and won't let it go because she wants to be able to keep her kids. This is in the comics. So this new world has things like Doctor Strange being a psychologist, Gambit being a criminal. We don't know if WandaVision is contained to a neighborhood, an alternate timeline, or will apply to the entire MCU like House of M applied to the entire main Marvel comic universe. Now, this does bring up questions like, what's going to happen in Spider-Man 3 and how is Thor 4 going to go down? You know, is that why Jane is Thor? That's a big possibility, but I'm not sure that Marvel would want a TV series like this to kind of influence and lay the groundwork for the rest of the MCU to come, but maybe that's why WandaVision is coming out first in 2020, and maybe that's essentially why they moved it up? I don't know, but also, there's just too many questions to address them all with so few answers in such a short trailer. Now, let's talk about Monica Rambeau. Monica was a kid in Captain Marvel, but she has grown up quite a bit, with Tayana Paris, and God, I hope I said her name wrong, playing the part this time. Now, we see her getting straight up blasted to a different reality covered in Wanda's red sorcery. So, here's some thoughts that I have on this and other uh, new source sites have as well. It's possible that Monica is being sent out of Scarlet Witch's fake sitcom fairy world. Now, I think she was sent in undercover to try to see what was going on as one of Nick Fury's agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, when she comes through to the nighttime location... It looks a lot like an old TV if you got really close to how its picture is created. So she could be exiting this fake TV world and entering real reality again. Plus, look at her costume. It looks like it's made for an 80s TV show. And the people who find her at the front, we have a leader in his sword regime, which they implicated that at the end of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And if you guys know sword from the comics and you know that Nick Fury is on that ship, so we know that sword is a big player here. Now, with these people that find her, the sword leader, behind him, we might have Darcy Lewis, because we do know that Kat Dennings is reprising her role last seen in Thor The Dark World, and she has worked closely with Dr. Eric Selvig in trying to figure out some multiverse theories in the past, but back then, we thought Selvig was crazy. Now, a little to the left of the frame, I have seen some people theorize that this could also be Tiana Paris, so we might be creating a time travel or multiverse paradox of sorts where Monica Rambeau exists with another version of herself and tells that past self to go on the mission that got her here in the first place. Also, a special shout out to the classic Vision costume showing up in Halloween costume form here like I talked about in the beginning. That was really, really cool. So, is that Darcy or not? We do not have confirmation. We do not know for sure. What we do know for sure is that we do not know shit about this TV show, and I cannot wait to find out more about it. So this trailer in general, it's getting an Undie Award. It, it just is, man. The last one combined with this one has shot my intrigue through the roof for this show, and I think this show will have heavy, heavy implications going forward in the MCU. I just don't know if they want to use it to create the multiverse with, but maybe they do, because remember, Scarlet Witch is coming on Doctor Strange too. so man, when I really think about that... Maybe they are going to use it as a stepping stone for the entire foundation of the MCU going forward. Think about it. You got Jane Foster, Thor. I mean, maybe Wanda really fucks some shit up here. Actually, you know what? I have just literally convinced myself on this podcast that that is really what's going down here. Man, I just blew my mind on my own podcast. Who can say that? Jesus, mother of God. If you're religious, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what to tell you. Also, I forgot to mention... 
Vision still has the gem in his head, the Infinity Stone. Like, how is that possible? They all got destroyed. So, is he literally just a manifestation of Scarlet Witch's new reality? Is that the only reason that he's here? Is that the only way? And if that's the case, is she powerful enough to bring him back completely into the new world? Is she going to just create an entire new MCU? I mean, man, I'm just... I, I'm I'm mind blown here. I am I, I've got a blown mind here. Mind blown. However the hell you want to say that. Shit is getting real here, or I guess shit is getting alternate real here. However you want to look at it. I don't know. This thing's getting an undie award straight up, straight up undie award for this trailer and four and a half black and white TVs out of five. The only reason it's not going to get a five out of five is because the trailer was too short. I wanted more. I wanted more answers. Now, can they really give that to you right now without spoiling things? Probably not. But you know what? I'm going to bitch about it anyways. I wanted a longer trailer. That is the only reason this is not getting a five out of five. So an undie award for the WandaVision trailer, four and a half out of five. Great, great trailer. Let's move on to the next trailer here in the trailer park, Hellstrom. I do not have a lot to say about this. I do not know a ton about the Hellstrom character. I've read him a little bit. What I mostly know is that he is the MCU version of John Constantine. And, you know, we're getting that all over the place now from both sides copying each other. In the comics, it's been happening for years. Now it's happening over on the TV and movie side as well. And that's fine. That's just that's just the business and comic-related properties. This one, though, it does have me intrigued as hell. Pun totally intended. Does that mean it's going to be a good show? I don't think so. I don't know that this show is going to last more than one, maybe two seasons on Hulu. I just don't think it has enough fan appeal. I don't think it has enough recognition for the characters that are going to be in it. I mean, unless you bring in someone like Ghost Rider again, like they did in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they could definitely do that for sure. I mean, they need to do something with that character right now. I mean, he's just sitting in the wings and he needs to be used because obviously that you saw in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season four, People loved that Ghost Rider. Absolutely loved him. And I would love to have him back and see him pop up at the end of this the season of this Hellstrom show. I'm not going to break down the trailer like I did the WandaVision one. Not enough time for that. But, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and give the Hellstrom trailer two and a half pentagrams out of five. Yeah, two and a half pentagrams out of five sounds about right. I, I am intrigued. I, er, intrigued. I'm intrigued, guys. I'm totally intrigued here. Totally intrigued. Sorry. I am intrigued for this show. I am interested. It does pique my interest, but it doesn't get me super excited like the WandaVision trailer did, and I don't think many trailers are going to do that. I get that, but this one, I don't know. It just seems like maybe it's going to be another bland Hulu Marvel show. Runaways started off great, didn't end great in my opinion. I, I mean, it was still good, but season one was the strongest of that show. Season two was still good, and three was still good, but... Man, I, I just, something keeps telling me that Hellstrom is just going to be another bland Marvel Hulu show. I, I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. But man, I just don't think a show like that has enough fan appeal to make any big waves. I just don't. And that's just it. So two and a half out of five, sorry, two and a half pentagrams out of five. And we're just going to give it a straight up Stanley. Just a straight even Stanley here on this one. All right. Bruce Banner's cousin, Jennifer Walters, a.k.a. She-Hulk, has been cast. Deadline is reporting Tatiana Maslany from Orphan Black has been tapped to play the role in She-Hulk, the lead role as Jennifer Walters. Now, Maslany, and I hope I'm saying this name right, 
is best known for her work on Orphan Black, like I mentioned, which she did win an Emmy for. But she did most recently star in HBO's Perry Mason series, which isn't the greatest series, but it has really good production value. But she is a phenomenal actress, and I was kind of shocked that they went with her for this role. I thought they'd go with maybe a more a more built, a more bigger person to play She-Hulk, but you don't have to have that. I mean, Jennifer Walters doesn't have to be super tall. She doesn't have to be super buff. It's the Hulk version that is super buff, super tall, super intimidating, not the Jennifer Walters side. So I don't know why I was thinking that. Now, Maslany is breaking into the superhero genre to take on She-Hulk. There's no word on when She-Hulk will start production, but now that she has been cast, Marvel can also specifically continue making progress on her Disney Plus show. Mark Ruffalo has already confirmed that he has talked to Marvel about returning as Smart Hulk for She-Hulk. So confirmation of his return could come next here. And there have also been reports that Thunderbolt Ross and Betty Ross will be featured in the series too. These additional characters will be secondary to She-Hulk's story, and given Maslany's past roles, fans should be excited to eventually see what she can bring to the role. I mean, it, it's this is big casting news to come in the MCU. I think She-Hulk is going to have a lot more roles to play other than just the TV show. I think she will show up in some movies. And it's really cool to hear that Smart Hulk might be coming back. I think he for sure will. I mean, someone's got to show She-Hulk how to do it. Now, I'm really curious to see if they follow the comics here on She-Hulk's origin or not. Because in the comics, she receives her Hulk powers from her cousin Bruce Banner after a blood transfusion. So is that how they're going to do it in this show? I would imagine so. I think it might depend on if they get Mark Ruffalo back to play Smart Hulk here. So maybe if they don't get him, maybe they might want to do it in another way that allows you to see it. Or maybe it'll just happen off screen. But I think for sure if Smart Hulk does come into the picture here and Mark Ruffalo does join the show in a cameo role or any kind of role whatsoever, I think you will see I think you will see it take place. A part of me makes me think maybe they don't want to show you her origin because people have been a little tired of origins lately, but I think it might be really, really important with this character, uh, you know, overall to see how she becomes She-Hulk. I'm not sure you can just throw her on the screen and all of a sudden she hulks up and then bam, you you got She-Hulk and she just kind of mentions how she became She-Hulk. I mean, I guess that would work. You know, it worked for Jessica Jones. I mean, I guess they kind of showed a little bit of her origins, but it kind of worked there. They may do do something like really similar with uh, She-Hulk here, but I would imagine that they do want to show you that origin and how it takes place and what happens. So not sure how they're going to handle it, but there's a lot of ways they could do it. But I do think that they are going to go the comic route. I have been waiting for a She-Hulk series for a long time. I love Jennifer Walters. She is such a just a creative person and a really cool person. And the split personality between her and She-Hulk is a lot different than Bruce Banner's personality. I don't think Jennifer Walters really hates her Hulk persona like Bruce Banner did. He don't, you know, he doesn't anymore in the MCU. And in the comics, don't get me wrong, there has been times when Jennifer Walters obviously hates her, her Hulk persona. But for the most part, she embraces it and uses it. And she almost has a little more control over her powers than Bruce does. Now, obviously, it depends what time frame you're pulling her comic aspects from, because obviously comic characters change so much. But from what I've read, she really has an acceptance of the Hulk persona, and she handles it very, very well. And it's so cool to see her work by lawyer at day and then see her be She-Hulk at night. Not, not literally, but you know what I'm saying here. 
I think this is going to be so cool. I think there's so much you could do with a TV version of this. I, I think it's a much better route to go than a She-Hulk movie would be because th- this just fits a TV storyline so well. And they even got the Brooklyn Nine-Nine director to jump on. You know, they got Jessica Gao joining as the writer. And Jessica Gao is known for Rick and Morty, of course. So this show is really, really shaping up to be something really special. And I, for one, just really cannot wait to see this unfold on Disney+. Plus. And to wrap up Marvel Weekly here, we have some more Marvel Disney Plus news. As Marvel revealed on their website that Marvel's 616 docuseries is going to hit Disney Plus on November 20th, just a few days before Thanksgiving. The series is going to consist of eight episodes, though it's not yet clear if all the episodes will release at once or if they'll come out separately on a weekly basis, which is the preferred rollout strategy for most Disney Plus programs. So as for the title, obviously this is a reference, the the title Marvel 616 is a reference to Marvel's comic book universe. Now, Marvel released footage for the docuseries a couple of months ago. One clip was directed by Gillian Jacobs of Community Fame and focused on the woman who helped, or sorry, on the women who helped to build the Marvel Comics brand. Now, another featured comedian, Paul Shear, discusses the lesser-known characters in the Marvel Comics universe. Marvel 616 is an anthology series, so each episode promises to focus on one specific topic. So, this is really cool to me. I love docuseries. I know Marvel Comics history pretty well, but no one out there, I don't care how hardcore of a Marvel fan you are, knows everything. And I think this can really fill in some cracks and maybe some questions people have about the history of Marvel Comics. And I am really excited to see what they do. Are they going to focus on one character each episode? I think that would be a really brilliant way to do it. Are they going to focus on different time frames in each episode? Are they going to focus on different writers, different creators? There are so many ways that they could handle this. But this is a series that is going to examine the rich history of the Marvel brand, including the artist who shaped the company into what it is today. And that is really cool. The artists never get enough credit, in my opinion. They definitely have their due here. They're going to get their due, hopefully, with this docuseries. I would imagine, I don't know, Marvel hasn't been kind to their creators in the past. But hopefully, maybe they're looking at this as a way to kind of say thank you to all of them. Now, obviously, the only thank you you could ever do for your creators of the past is to shell out some of that goddamn money that they made you. But... I'm not sure that's ever going to truly happen in the way that it should happen, unfortunately. But either way, this is a really cool docuseries that I will definitely be watching on Disney+. So, that is all going to wrap up Marvel Weekly. And now that we have also wrapped up DC Weekly, it is now a time that I know a lot of you listeners have been waiting for and that a lot of people that listen to this show are here for. And that is the gaming stuff. Let's go ahead and hit up Pop C Weekly to solely talk about the PS5 and Xbox Series X slash S. Stupid name. Alright, let's talk about that new PS5 now, shall we? So in last week's episode, I talked about the new Xbox, and there are two new models, the Series X and S. Now, we talked about the prices, the X coming in at 500 and the S coming in at 300 Big price difference, but there's also a big difference in power. And I compared the two and I told you all the differences between the two. Now, PS5 has done the same thing, except the power and performance is going to be the same between the PS5 Standard Edition and Digital Edition. 
Now, the price for these two were revealed last week, and they came in at $500 for the standard edition, $400 for the digital edition. Now, I did pre-order the digital edition, and oh my god, it took me two hours. First, I tried Best Buy. First, then I, Sorry, first I tried GameStop. Then I tried Best Buy. Then I tried Walmart. Then I tried Target. Best Buy let me put it in my cart and then told me that it was not available and items in my cart couldn't be bought. GameStop, site crashed, couldn't get through to anything there. So that was the no-go. Then I went to Walmart. Walmart was already sold out, didn't even have a chance there. Same thing with Target. Already sold out, didn't have a chance there. In fact, I think I actually got it in my cart for Target and then I just got screwed out of it, right? Bunch of crazy stuff happened. I even then, I even then went and tried to get one of the like seven and eight hundred dollar bundles through GameStop. Couldn't get those. So you know what I did? I sat back and I waited. And I put a notification on my Twitter. And I got notified instantly when Amazon went up for pre-orders. And I was ju- I just so happened to be looking at my phone when that notification hit. So I instantly went to Amazon. And what do you know? I was one of the lucky few that got one. And if you did not get one, more pre-orders are coming. They're going to be bringing in another shipment of them, a digital shipment, because, you know, obviously the consoles aren't here yet, but they are doing another round of them. Now, the Xbox pre-orders did the same thing. They did very well with their pre-orders as well, but it seems like the PS5 was a little bit harder to get, and I think it's going to be, especially the digital edition. It does not seem like there's going to be as many digital editions out. Now, that's the one I went with because I figured I don't need a disk drive and I can spend that extra $100 on a, on a launch game or two. Well, well, one and a half since the games are going to be $70 now. <laughs> but my plan is to get the Miles Morales Spider-Man game since that will be there at launch and then get another one as well. So at the showcase, I, when I was first watching the showcase, I was like, eh, it's, it, this is okay. I mean, they started off with Final Fantasy 16, which I, I do not give two shits about that one. But they showed Spider-Man Miles Morales, and oh my god, did they show off the console's power there, the ray tracing, and just the beautifulness of that game in general, and all the lights, and all the action, and all the destruction, and the fighting, and everything that's going around at one time. Now, one of the main reasons that I went with the PS5, actually the main reason, was because of titles like Spider-Man Miles Morales. The Spider-Man games, the God of War games, the new, uh, the Horizon Zero Dawn games, I mean, those are just games that you're not going to be able to get anywhere else, except for, I guess, Horizon, you're going to be able to get it, well, it's on PC now, but I don't think they're going to release all of them on PC like that, like uh, Microsoft's doing. So, that was the number one reason why I went with the PS5, was because of the exclusive titles that are going to be there at launch, and that are going to be there shortly after launch, and that will be there in the long run, that did very well in the last generation as well, and Xbox just does not have anything even close to that. Now, I think they will coming up here in a year or two since they now acquired Bethesda and ZeniMax and all, and you know, the id software studios. And they got that, they got the new engine from id, you know, that's a great engine. They can now use that for any game they want. I think Xbox has an extremely bright future now that they bought that studio. And I think that is why they acquired that studio, but going back to the PS five, they're going to have more games at launch. Xbox series X literally has like nothing at launch. I mean, it's got just a bunch of Xbox one titles coming out and a few Xbox series titles, but like it, nothing worth, nothing worthy of even mentioning. Right. So I also went with the PS five though, because of the controller, the haptic feedback and the resistance that those triggers are going to offer is going to, I think completely 
change gaming going forward. I think it's going to be groundbreaking. I think once you hold a PS5 controller and it gives you that resistance and that tension when you're shooting a bow on Horizon or when it gives you that quick trigger or however or however they're going to do it with the Call of Duty games and the first-person shooters. I mean, when you're shooting a handgun, maybe it'll go quicker. When you're shooting a shotgun, maybe it'll give you some resistance there, some tension, and then the trigger will be a little bit harder to pull. Not hard to pull, but, you know, it kind of feels like you're pulling a trigger on a heavier gun. The haptic feedback that's going to be all around the controller. Man, that controller is very impressive, and I think that controller is going to completely outshine the Xbox. Their controller, literally, the only difference is a share button that's been added which Sony and PlayStation had that on the last generation. So I'm not even going to include that as a reason to get excited about the new Xbox controller. Now, you could also say, what's you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? The Xbox controller is genius, and that is evident by the fact that the PlayStation 5 went with a more Xbox-like controller design. Now, I think that was very smart of them to do. There are things about the PS4 controller that I don't and a lot of other people do not like. The new controller, I think, is a huge selling point for me, I don't know if it will be for everybody, but I think that once people get their hands on this new PS5 controller and start to play games with it and the way that it's going to be able to now immerse you into the game in another aspect, I think that is huge for PlayStation. And it was just the icing on the cake for me to pre-order a PS5. I I cannot do both. If I could do both, if I had enough money to do both, I would, but I just don't. So to be able to get all of next-gen power and capabilities in a $400 machine is absolutely incredible. Now, don't get me wrong. The Xbox Series S is a hell of a steal at $300, okay? It is. It is worth it. If, if you're on a budget, that's the one to get. But if you can shell out the extra 100 the PS5 Digital Edition is going to have everything next-gen offers minus a disk drive. Now, at first, I thought maybe this wouldn't be a big deal. But then I was like, man, if you have disk, you know, first off, you can buy the game. You can play it, and once you're done, you can sell it and get some of that money back. But another thing about having disk is that it takes up less space on the console because some of that storage is on the disk itself. Now, one good thing about digital is you don't have to take that disk out and put it in every single time and mess with it, and you can just download games straight up, right? So I am a little concerned about the space only being a little over 800 gigabytes. Uh, I think that's going to fill up very quickly, especially with these next-gen titles being in upwards of 200 gigabytes a game. I mean, Call of Duty is already up to 200 and even over that on the current-gen consoles. So I think that's a big problem, and we're going to have to buy expanded storage in the long run. So I think in the long run, you might actually just go ahead and spend the 500 no matter what edition you're going to get, because you're going to need expanded storage. But for the first year or so, you may only be buying three or four games, and I think that will fit on the PS5 just fine. And that's my plan, is to buy the digital edition, buy a couple games, buy a couple more next year, fill up that console. But then when I'm done, you know, you can delete those games and re-download them later, so it's not like you have to have every single one on your console. But let's talk about some of the other things that they showed at the showcase. So I mentioned Final Fantasy 16. I mentioned Miles Morales Spider-Man game. They also showed a, a Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War multiplayer trailer. They announced the alpha, which I did play the alpha. And oh my god, it was great. I loved the feeling of it. The way it felt to sink bullets into people. You could really feel those bullets penetrate those people as you shot them. I thought the gameplay was really good. I thought it was enough of an update on the Modern Warfare style, the current Modern Warfare style, that it offers something new. But the gun selection and the attachment selections and all of that was really cool. And this is just an alpha, so they can just improve upon this. I'm very excited for the game. Much more excited than I was when I saw the multiplayer trailer. Because remember, I was like, "Eh, it's it's kind of it's it's kind of like just a, a rebranded Modern Warfare." But no, it doesn't really feel like that. It actually feels a lot different. It looks a lot like Modern Warfare. 
but it doesn't feel a lot like Modern Warfare. And I think that's the key right there. So the alpha really showed a lot to me. So that gets me even more excited for Black Ops Cold War. They showed Deathloop, which it's weird because it was going to be a PS5 exclusive. And I think Microsoft did say they're going to honor that exclusivity, even though they now own, well, not yet. The deal has to go through next year, but they, you know, they bought Zenimax and Bethesda and all that. And Deathloop's part of that. So that's kind of funny. They showed Devil May Cry 5 Special Edition, which a lot of people are let down by. Like, why are you, why are you showing that? They showed Oddworld Soulstorm, which I'm not a big Oddworld fan. Five Nights at Freddy's, though, Security Breach, that looks interesting. The Demon Souls remake, that looked incredible on a PS5. And especially if you can go on YouTube and watch the actual 4K version of that showcase and not a stream, man, Demon Souls. Guys, I'm playing Bloodborne right now, and it might have been the biggest mistake of my life to get into that game because, holy shit, that may be the hardest game I've ever attempted to play. But, man, I love it. It is fun as hell. It, you know, you have to really get some strategy on how you're going to go back to the bosses that you meet. Because, you know, you're never going to beat them right away. You always got to go back. You got to collect more souls. Go back to your dream. Try to power up some more. But the thing about Demon Souls and Bloodborne and all that, they're, that's a very niche market that they're aimed towards. So I don't think that's a big huge appeal to a lot of gamers out there, but it definitely is appeal to gamers out there. So Demon's Souls is a big, big, big game that's going to be up there that I'm really excited for. Now, the Harry Potter game that they showed, I did not think I would get that excited about a Harry Potter game, but guys, I did. The Harry Potter game looks incredible, and I can't wait to play it. And they even went as far as after the showcase to really distance themselves from J.K. Rowling and show, no, she had nothing to do with this game. We got nothing to do with her. Screw her. They basically said, fuck J.K. Rowling. Get the hell out of here. We don't want you anywhere near the Harry Potter series anymore. And I think J.K. Rowling's mentions, uh, all of her mentions about transgender people and all that stuff, her transphobia that is very apparent, I think it lost her, the Harry Potter franchise. Now, obviously, she'll probably own it forever. And, you know, I, I don't know what the legalities are of that. I, I don't know how much of that she owns. I, I don't care, frankly. But it looks like she really messed up by saying those things and not backing down off of her views. And that got her booted out of the Harry Potter world that she so brilliantly created. And that's, I mean, it's unfortunate in a way, but it's like, you know, you get what you ask for, right, JK? So, you know, the, I, I'm very excited for this Harry Potter Hogwarts game. It, I always thought that you could do some incredible stuff with the Harry Potter game in an open world Harry Potter game. And there's Harry Potter games out there that are actually really good, that are really underrated, that a lot of people missed. But this one in particular, you know, you're going to have new characters. You're going to have people you've never really seen before because it's a prequel set in the 1800s. And I think that's brilliant, too. I, I just think there's so much you can do with the Harry Potter game. And this one looks really exciting to me. The sticking point here is that the price points on the PS5, I think they I think they were going to go 600 and 500 because I think they are going to lose money on these consoles, but they'll make it back with the games and uh you know, you buying digitally directly from them saves them a ton of money. They get 100% of that profit. Whereas if you buy it physically from a store, you know, they, they had to spend money making the disc. They had to spend money shipping the disc and the box art and all that. And then they got to give the store a cut, right? But when you buy a digital edition straight from them, they get all of that moolah. They get all of that cash. So I think that's why they went ahead and made the compromise and said, no, we have to meet Xbox here at this price point. And it's funny because it's like both of them were waiting. You know, who's going to shoot first? You know, we... Xbox is like, hopefully PS5 will release the price. That way we can go ahead and say what our price is going to be. I think that is why it took so long to get prices for these systems. But Xbox just said, fuck it, we're going. We're just going to go. And they laid out their prices and they were competitive and they were aggressive as hell. And PS5 matched it. And when I saw those prices and realized that I could get a PS5 for $400, I shit a brick, guys. I shit my pants. I don't know why I said shit a brick, but I shit my pants in excitement. I had to go change my pants. It, it was great. It was phenomenal. I loved it. The showcase was awesome. But then... 
at the very end of the showcase, they teased God of War, Ragnarok, bitches, mic drop, it's coming next year. Guys, God of War on PS4 is such a phenomenal game, and the way that they rebranded and redid that game and added Norse mythology and the little, I don't want to spoil the game, but the hints, the things that they drop at the end of that game, how can you not be excited through the roof for this next God of War game? And the fact that it's coming next year? Like, is that even possible? I figured it'd be 2023 until we saw the next God of War game. I mean, that, those games take a long time to make. There's a lot in those games. And, and, and that's not an official title either, God of War Ragnarok, but that's, that's just what we're assuming because it said Ragnarok is coming. You know, I, it, it just blew me away. And right after that, you know, the pre-order fiasco happened. Sony did not plan for that to happen. Retailers went ahead and pulled the trigger and put them up for sale right after that showcase. And that caused a disaster. That caused a huge disaster. But I was able to pre-order one. If you did not, don't be worried. I think you will be able to get one at or at least very close to launch. I think PS5 sees the demand and they are ramping it up. Remember when they said that they were going to cut production by 5 million units? Yeah, now they're saying they're not doing that anymore. So, I don't know what was going on there, but they still promise that there will be more PS5s available at launch than there were PS4s. And I know PS4s were hard to get at launch, but I was still able to get one at launch, like they had them here. So, I think you should still hold out hope that you can get one at launch. But in my opinion, the PS5 is the only one worth getting at launch. I don't think it's worth getting a Series X at launch. Even if they add Doom to Game Pass, Doom Eternal to Game Pass, since that you know they bought Zenimax and Bethesda and all that, I just still don't see a reason to get one at launch. I think if you're looking at getting a Series X or S, I think it, that you should wait. Now, if you want to get a Series S, go ahead and spend the 300 now and get it at launch. I think that's fine. But if you want a Series X and you're, you're thinking about shelling out 500, I think you should wait. I think you should sit back and wait and see just how soon those exclusive Bethesda and id software and all those titles are going to start coming to an Xbox. And even if they are going to be Xbox exclusive, as Microsoft has not said they're going to be yet, I don't imagine that you pay $7.5 billion for a gaming studio and then not make their games exclusive to your console. I mean, what that would be stupid in my opinion. Microsoft and Xbox, they need big-time exclusive titles. And th by them purchasing that studio, it allowed them to do so. But still, in my opinion... The PS5 is the one to get, man. The PS5 is the one to get. And then, after all that, they then announced that Godfall would be a launch day title. I was so thrilled about that. I don't know what you think about Godfall. A lot of people think it looks way too close to Destiny and stuff. I don't care. Godfall looks beautiful. Godfall looks very fun. And I'm not going to get Godfall right at launch. Spider-Man's the game I'm going to get. Spider-Man Miles Morales is the game I will get with the PS5 at launch. And then I'll sit back and wait for some reviews for Godfall and some of these other ones. I might get Demon's Souls right at launch. I'm definitely going to get it. I'm not sure if I'm going to get it at launch or not yet. But Godfall is one of those ones where I'm going to get the PS5, get the Spider-Man Miles Morales game. I'll blow through that game since it won't be very long. It's not a full game. And then once I'm done with that, then I will look and see, is Godfall worth getting? If a lot of people say it is, I'll jump right on it. If just a few people are saying, yeah, it's, it's kind of a cult following type thing, I'll still jump right on it. But if a lot of reviews and people come out and say it's terrible, obviously I'm not going to shell out $70 for it. But as of right now, I am planning on doing so. I was so excited by the PS5 showcase. It really got me thrilled, intrigued, and excited for next gen. And I really, truly do want to drive home the fact that I believe that PS5 controller is going to be a game changer. I think it's going to be an absolute game changer. Now, let's really quickly, let's look at the, the titles that are going to be at launch that we have confirmed so far. So we did mention uh, Godfall that's going to be coming out. 
We're also going to be getting Spider-Man Miles Morales. Remember, Horizon Forbidden West is coming. Not a launch title, but it is coming. Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, another one that's coming. These are exclusives, by the way. I'm looking at all the PS5 exclusives. Uh, Ratchet & Clank, which my wife is very excited for. Demon Souls will be there at launch. Hogwarts Legacy will not be there at launch, but it's coming very soon. Atomic Heart's coming. Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War will be there at launch. Final Fantasy 16's coming. Pragmata. Resident Evil 8 Village, which I'm not the biggest Resident Evil game fan, but I, I do have uh, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard downloaded on my PS4, PS4, PS4 Pro, and I am going to check it out and play it to see if I would be interested in this next one since it very, very much mirrors uh, Resident Evil 7, 8 mirrors 7 it looks like. But here's the other thing, guys. Remember, Cyberpunk 2077 is going to be there at launch. I mean, a lot of people are forgetting about that game. It's kind of being forgotten because it was made for the, the current gen consoles. But it's going to have everything that, not everything, but it will be improved upon for next gen. And I really hope that it doesn't get left in the dust because of this, because Cyberpunk 2077 is my absolute most anticipated game of this year by far. And that is a game that I will for sure have when I have the new systems, definitely. So I don't know what you guys think about the new consoles, but I think the PS5 is the way to go. Now, I think Microsoft has a chance at leveling the playing field next year with Bethesda Studios and all that. But until then, PS5 is where it's at. And even though they do have that stuff coming, PS5 still has incredible exclusives like Horizon, God of War. I mean, you name it, man. They It's just Ratchet and Clank. I mean, I don't care what Bethesda and them put out. PS5 still has the best exclusive studio and they still have the best exclusive games, but Microsoft is going to be giving them a huge run for their money coming up here. All right, and that will do it for the eighth episode of Pop Culture Weekly. Hey, really quick, I wanted to mention The Boys Season 2. So the first three episodes, I, I gave an Undie Award to. Now, I do think it, it has been a little slow since then, and I don't think Season 2 is living up to Season 1, but that is not to say that season two is not still a phenomenal show. I think they're covering a ton of ground here in this new season. They're just doing it in a slow way. But man, I think we got some big revelations of Stormfront to come. We got a big one, and I'm not gonna spoil it here, but we did get a big one in the last episode or the episode before that. But I think we have even bigger Stormfront revelations coming. I, I think there's some big things from the boys coming up here. Guys, I, I love the boys, and season two is still an undie award for me, but it's not quite living up to season one. Not quite, but still a great show all around. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit me up on all forms of social media at PopC Underground, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can also email the show at popcunderground at gmail.com. And if you feel inclined, you can leave a tip at the tip jar at the bottom of the show notes. You can also visit the podcast webpage at the bottom of the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much, so much for listening. And I promise I will be back in just a few days. Everybody, you know, keep your geek going out there. Keep it going. Show your flag. Show everybody what you're about. Don't be afraid to reveal it. Guys, we are all here for each other. We are one big community. So keep it going. Everybody, I will see you all on the next episode later. <laughs>